We need more middle-aged women on screen. And today's guests are leading the revolution. Here's Nikki Clark on her campaign called Acting Your Age. One of the myths about this campaign is that men don't like it and young people don't like it. And that is absolutely not the case. The supporters are men, women, young people, older people, audiences and industry because... You know, the tagline in my campaign is on screen, men have a whole life and women just a shelf life. And I think if we neglect that, we're totally rejecting the very basis of feminism there. I also chat to menopause activist Kate Muir about her latest documentary with Davina McCall. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and today we're looking at how cinema depicts women over 40 on screen and how real menopausal women are finally being told the truth on the small screen. My first guest is Kate Muir, former film critic, author and producer of the Channel 4 series on the menopause that we featured back in episode 77. As we hoped, she's back with a follow-up called Davina McCall, Sex, Mind and the Menopause. Juggling fluctuating hormones in life can be tough, but what makes matters worse is one frightening symptom that can occur during perimenopause. Brain fog. Over 70% of you said you suffered with brain fog. Brain fog is horrific. I mean, when I had it, I couldn't read autocue, something would happen to my eyes. I couldn't remember celebrities' names. I seriously thought I was going to have to give up presenting. And when I got asked if I was okay, I said yes. I was so full of shame about about what was going on that I just couldn't talk to people. And it breaks my heart that 10 years later, women are still struggling, are still ashamed and still embarrassed of something that's completely natural. It's got to change. Kate, welcome back to Girls on Film. Thank you. It's terrifying being on the other side of the camera, actually, and making films instead of criticising them. And I've learned so much. <laughs> well, you're back to talk about the second outing of your documentary on Channel 4. What can we expect from this one? Well, it's a really radical, punchy bit of menopause revolution. We've gone from kind of explaining to just being really, really angry. And so we've got lots of stuff from the big demonstrations outside Parliament earlier on in the year, where Davina, who just appeared as someone who was presenting a menopause documentary last year, had then taken up a megaphone and was just shouting at everybody. And you really couldn't have paid for that to happen. And the great thing about um, this is that it isn't a political matter. This is a women's matter. And um, today, everybody came together to make that happen. So we went on from there and the big thing for us was discovering what happened in women's brains in menopause and in midlife and how much that explains about women falling out of employment and indeed falling out of acting and journalism and all these things. 
We discovered in the show, we did this huge survey that one in 10 women were quitting their jobs, not being sacked. A few were being sacked, but they were just self-censoring and quitting their jobs or going part-time or refusing promotion. And it largely seemed to be brain fog, anxiety, and all the things that can be prevented by the new body identical hormone replacement therapy, which we talk about in this program. But it was about the confidence crisis among women. We are all now sort of this generation X coming up and we're feminists and we're the people who've been in the Time's Up movement and, you know, done all the things, you know, like you've done with women in film. And I don't think we're going to sit back and, and listen this time. Somehow sisters are doing it for themselves is coming into my head now, like coming out of the history books. Kate, I'm in such admiration of your activism with this. I mean, we talked last time about it being a menopause revolution, as you just mentioned. Can you update the listeners as to what has happened with your campaign in general since we last spoke? Well, what's happened is since we made the programme, which was almost exactly a year ago, uh, 22,000 doctors and nurses have taken up the free menopause education course provided by the menopause charity which is amazing because what matters is those doctors on the ground talking to ordinary people and really getting it not just the rich people who can go and get hormone replacement but helping everybody in every way so I suppose we opened the conversation and we caused lots of people to out themselves as menopausal (laughs) in a way and so it became a not embarrassing thing but a cool thing you know menopause is the new black it was fine thank goodness you know obviously I started talking about it Other women were doing it way before me, so I'm not taking any credit for that. But as I've kind of done the documentary and since that, I have been spoken to or I've had people contact me asking for help or telling me their stories. And it's heartbreaking that women either feel insignificant, invisible, unheard, and just the idea that we are being heard in Parliament, that government are going to affect change, that will help support women so they don't have to feel suicidal. And then Caroline Harris MP, who's also in the film a little bit, uh, did her wonderful work in Parliament getting free prescriptions on the whole for women not gone through yet. And then we had a disaster on our hands with huge HRT shortages because we've now created this Davina effect, which has made HRT very popular. Women are going to the doctors, realising they don't have to sit at home and suffer. But also we talked about exactly how the brain changes in midlife. And that is incredibly interesting in the programme and how your grey matter and white matter changes and what you can do about it and what to expect. Dr Brinton conducted an observational study of the medical insurance records of almost 400,000 women and discovered those treating symptoms with HRT lowered their risk of developing Alzheimer's. When these symptoms become severe, the canary is singing very loudly in the coal mine. It's really a symptom saying, my brain is changing and likely not for the better. There is substantial evidence to indicate that estrogen and hormone therapy can significantly, by 50 to 80%, reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. 
The exciting thing is I went to New York because we couldn't afford to go to send Davina to New York. So I went to New York to film with a crew with this woman called Dr. Lisa Mosconi, who's written The XX Brain, and another academic called Dr. Roberta Diaz-Brinton. And they basically explained to us what happens to the brain in midlife and menopause. And when those hormones disappear, they don't just disappear from your ovaries, they disappear from your brain. And your brain is filled with estrogen receptors. And when that goes away, your brain stops firing on all cylinders. And there's actually a descent in the grey matter in perimenopause and menopause. And your grey matter is your thought processing stuff. And the grey matter starts coming up at the end of menopause for some women, but not all. And the white matter, which is your kind of connective tissue, which you're thinking back, oh, I remember that. I, I know the name, but I don't quite know it. And then half an hour later, you do know it. That, that, that connective moment the white matter flatlines and goes down. So we actually have different brains, just as we would have done in pregnancy. We reboot our brains and they do change and we pump more blood to our brain at the end of menopause. But it kind of explains all the things we've been seeing in midlife crises, in people going crazy, in people changing what they do suddenly at 50. Um, and no one has given women this knowledge and this knowledge is just starting to come out. And, you know, it's really exciting uh, to kind of show this and try and just begin to explain it to women. And, you know, it explains to me a lot about what's happened to me, because there I was being a Times film critic. Then I went a bit bonkers. Then I did a film course. Then I was unemployed. Then I tried to make a documentary. No one would have it because it was about a boring subject. Then I met Dorothy Byrne, actually, who was head of Channel 4 at the time at a Time's Up meeting. So I was there agitating for women in film and I told her about this menopause documentary and she said, oh, all right, we'll make it. So that was the amazing power of women in film, Time's Up, menopause, late life feminist movement, all connected together and kind of rocked off. But I'm very aware that I changed what I wanted to do and who I am in a way. And I've got a new life and a new partner. And I'm doing a different thing. And it's very exciting. And having done that myself, I'm really, really keen to help other women getting over that transition in their jobs. And I keep thinking back to the acting profession and how women don't exist after about 45, do they? And we all know that, but it is kind of, where do they go? Is there anything else that we should know about either the film or your ongoing campaign and your writing? Well, so I've done a book called Everything You Need to Know About the Menopause But Were Too Afraid to Ask. And I wrote that when I was unemployed in lockdown, waiting for these films to take off. What I want to do now, I think, after the second film is to take this to America. And I am looking to meet an American producer who really, really wants to do that. So if anyone knows any brilliant Americans in television, you know, we have this amazing set of ideas that we could apply to America and you know obviously I want the fantastic presenter there and so every so often I look through lists of Hollywood women and think oh none of them are menopausal and none of them have ever taken HRT they will admit to Botox in public but never admit to taking hormones and there is this huge murder the silence nobody talks about it I want them all to talk about it that is my plan I'm looking at the people who are sort of investing in menopause femtech companies and it looks like Drew Barrymore's investing Reese Witherspoon's investing but I'm thinking we need to get someone out there I want that American actress and I don't know who 
she's going to be, but I want to meet her. And I think we could take this revolution to Hollywood. So that's my plan. That is a great plan. <laughs> I love your ambition. And, you know, knowing you, Kate, I feel like you're just going to do it and we'll be right behind you. Oh. It does feel incredibly important for this issue to be raised in Hollywood again in terms of what we see on screen and the way the actors talk about their own lives, as you yeah. say. As we've seen here, every woman who tells their story, then the next person says, that's not my story. This is my story. And by the time you get to the 10th person that said that, you've found a story that's parallel to yours. And all these women could use their enormous power to make this easier for ordinary women. And they're not. And it's their duty, I think, as feminists who are, you know, over 40 and over 50 to do that. Well, we do have a lot of listeners in the US. So, yeah, listen up, guys. Get in touch with Kate. How can people find you? They can find me on my website and on Instagram and on Twitter. And I have a special menopause Twitter and Instagram, which is called Meno Scandal. All one word, simple. And that's what I campaign on. You mentioned at the beginning that this has given you more respect for people who make films, which includes a lot of our lovely listeners. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, I just had no idea of how brilliant filmmakers were until I had to produce two documentaries. And obviously we have incredibly short lead times and difficult budgets and tiny teams, but that's the case for so many independent films, isn't it? And you realise you're doing absolutely everything. You're writing the script you're doing your research you're stopping your contributors from crying and I suddenly realized the sort of multitasking genius of people who make films and you have to be so good at handling people and the thing I realized most was that you had to have a bag of snacks and nuts with you at all times because the people on camera and around are all toddlers and they are all going to have a tantrum at some point and you have to calm them down and give them food at the appropriate moments and just give them little times out. I suppose it's slightly a mothering thing as well, but I had no idea that filmmaking, you know, I just thought you thought of a great idea and you filmed it and your cinematographer came along and... And, you know, obviously this is a scrappy film in a way and it's revolutionary and it's messy and it's got video in it and phones in it and people shouting. So it's not, it's by no means a work of art. But I realised, wow, what really, really good filmmakers must be doing. And I utterly respect them. I would never not give a four-star review now. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And also some advice for up-and-coming filmmakers there. Always bring snacks. I think, you know, just in life, that's very good advice. Yeah. And Kate, finally, you said you had some struggles when you changed career and everything. What is your personal secret to conquering the menopause? Because you seem to be on fire right now. (laughs) Or are you? (laughs) No, no, I'm, 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 yeah, no, I'm, it's quite exciting because, you know, you've made all this effort and you've drudged through and this is the bit what you're launching and so you feel quite kind of high after the the horror. Um, Obviously, I'm on HRT and I'm also on, I've got my three hormones back and one of them is testosterone and women have testosterone and women should know that. And it's very hard to get on the NHS, but you can get it. And it makes a huge difference, not just to your libido, but to your energy and your sharpness and your enthusiasm for things. And I think a lot of the women who are really succeeding in later life in boardrooms and God knows where else are actually quietly on it. And, you know, it's a great tip, actually. Get in there. Well, Kate, the fact that you were one of the first people on Girls on Film on our very first episode, we're especially proud to see what you're doing now. So, bravo. And I'm really proud with what you've done. I'm just so delighted that, you know, the road is continuing to be ploughed by you and you are continuing the fight. It's just fantastic. That was Kate Muir. 
UK listeners can watch Davina McCall, Sex, Mind and the Menopause on Channel 4 at 9pm on Monday the 2nd of May 2022 and afterwards on all four. But as Kate said, there are many other ways you can join the menopausal revolution. We're in this together. My next and final guest is Nikki Clark, who founded the Acting Your Age campaign. Nikki, welcome to Girls on Film. Very nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we've been following your work for a while. You do amazing stuff. But for the listeners, can you tell us about yourself and what led you to start the Acting Your Age campaign? I have been an equality campaigner for quite a long time, specifically focusing on representation and specifically representation on screen and wider media. So I began back in... ooh. 2009, highlighting the lack of disabled talent in front of the camera, behind the camera, on stage and everywhere, really, predominantly as well in advertising. So uh, that's where it all began for me in terms of campaigning. And then in 2018, I started to become very aware that there were fewer and fewer women of my age on screen. I was seeing a lot of men of my age, but I was seeing a far fewer women. As with all of these things, once you notice them, you can't really unsee them. I began to look around and I started to do data dives and it just became more and more apparent to me that there was a huge gender disparity between men and women in media, across news, across TV and film, over the age of 45. Under the age of 45, and my data research backs this up, things are roughly equal, which is brilliant because that's as it should be. Mm -hmm. But over the age of 45, things become significantly worse for women. So I just wanted to raise it. And I thought that it would be, (laughs) I'm laughing at my own naivety, really, of four years ago, but I thought it would be an issue that once raised, people would get on board with. And it has been extraordinarily difficult to have this issue of gender representation really taken seriously. What are the highlights of when people have actually noticed you? I know people like Sally Phillips, who's a friend of the podcast, has got behind the campaign. What have been the good bits of progress that we can cling on to and hope there's going to be more of that? Well, I've had lots of meetings. I mean, people are very open. So I've met with the BBC, I've met with BAFTA. And the wonderful thing is the audiences particularly and performers themselves, so women over the age of 45 who are in the industry, on screen and off, have all said this is a major problem and this is a problem that we feel a huge amount of pressure not to talk about and one that isn't generally taken seriously. So the positives have been that people have been very open to meetings and to talking about it someone sent me a link today on Twitter that the director general of the BBC is actually saying we need to stop focusing on predominantly young people. So people between the ages of 16 and 34, which I felt very pleased to read. I can't take credit for it, but I'm going to take some because I have been harassing them basically for the last year. So I've had meetings with them and I've spoken to them over at the diversity team and also around the 5050 project. Again, highlighting that 50-50 has to mean, you know, can't just be um, young women and middle-aged men, which is unfortunately what it tends to be. When we're talking about film, it's very interesting what you just said, young women and middle-aged men, because when we were emailing, you mentioned Spider-Man No Way Home. You know, I enjoyed that film. Mm. I bemoaned the general lack of women, but when you start looking at ages, (laughs) then it gets really bad, doesn't it? Ever since I got bit by that spider, 
I've only had one week where my life has felt normal. That was when you found out. When you look at the cast breakdown, there are 15 main characters. 13 of them are men, and 10 of them are over the age of 40, with eight of them being over the age of 50. And I don't know if I'm allowed to spoil it, but there are two women in it, one of whom, shall we say, doesn't appear after the second half of the film, which is the amazing Marisa Tomei. And then, of course, you have Zendaya, who is all the way through. You know, she should be. She's a principal character. But when you look at that and you try and imagine that if that was done with women, which I think would make a really interesting Spider-Man, actually, and you think of that, you think of another film featuring Tom Holland, which is Uncharted. And again, you see a very similar dynamic going on. So you've got 26-year-old Tom Holland, you've got 26-year-old Tati Gabrielle, and also 26, Sophie Taylor Alley, and then you have Antonia Banderas, who is 61, and you have 50-year-old Mark Wahlberg. And again, you're saying, where are the older women? And why can it not be that there is a much better appreciation of this need to address audiences? Because just like you, I loved Spider-Man. So I don't always just sit there counting the women because we will sit down to a film. My husband will go, oh, God, can we carry on watching this one? And I'm like, yes, we can carry on watching, but I'm just writing all these people down. There are others out there. We need to send them back. So Scooby-Doo this crap. You know, all this is kind of your mess. I know a couple of magic words myself, starting with the word please. Please, Scooby-Doo this crap. I know my feelings on this, but for you, why does it matter so much, especially in a big mainstream film, that you see older women or women over 45 on screen, well represented and not just super glamorised Hollywood versions of it? Well, this is the other thing, of course, and you're absolutely correct in saying this. It's not just the, the very minimal representation. It is the poor representation of women. So I do comedy videos as well, and I, I've sort of made several where I dress the bigoted characters that middle-aged women so often play. You know, they are horrible to their daughters. They want to wreck their mental health and their lives. They want to ruin the relationships between their ex-husbands and their daughters. They're often bigoted. They're often humorless. And what that messaging does on the most influential form of media that we have, which is the screens, whether large or small, is it sends a message constantly and reinforces a message that that middle-aged women and older women are less than their other and they are nothing to aspire towards. Whereas we see so many wonderful patriarchal men and loving fathers and this narrative now it it just challenges and i have to say as well it's not just from male filmmakers this is something that we're seeing coming through from female filmmakers and and in amazing projects as well very feminist projects with very feminist messaging seeing the number of older women negatively portrayed is really really difficult and it's i think an important thing as well because what it sets up oftentimes is that younger women are in competition with older women and I suppose for me, that messaging goes out to very young children. So it goes right the way through and adolescent boys through to older people. So the messaging being absorbed by younger people is, 
old bad, especially old woman bad. And for older audiences, I know when I watch it myself that I can fight those messages and I can fight that feeling that I ought to be looking 35 when I'm actually 55. But it's it's amazing how much it absorbs that poor representation and the ripple effect of that is vast. Now, you emailed me three positive examples, and yes. I'm very happy to say that these are three films that we've all championed on Girls on Film. No coincidence, Yay. I suppose. I'd love you to just give me a couple of lines about why these three films are great. So let's start with The Lost Daughter. Okay, so The Lost Daughter, the principal thing for me, obviously, Olivia Coleman's character... Miss Caruso, welcome. Thank you. ...is not exactly a positive, matriarchal, fantasy version of a mother. And I just love that. I love the fact that she's messy and that her life has been messy and that mothering or, or that role that she's had in her life, parenting, has been really difficult for her. Get up! Mommy, get up! And something that she found extraordinarily challenging because that, I think, is fantastic. You don't have kids. Yes, I have two daughters. That messaging that's saying, you know, women can be very unlikable, but we still connect and they don't have to be perfect and they don't have to be putting their arms around everybody and making everything okay. You know, that I loved. What were your daughters like when they were little? I can't remember much, actually. And I mean, obviously anything with Olivia Coleman is amazing. And Nomadland, of course, wonderful yeah. Oscar winner, Frances McDormand. How refreshing to see that character on screen in the centre of the story, right? Centre of the story, and from what I can gather, totally unreconstructed face. We have a very authentic woman being strong and being incredible and being heartbreakingly real. And that was wonderful and a very heartrending story. I mean, I know there were aspects that people had problems with to do with Amazon and the portrayals and everything else. But for me, it was such a huge plus to see her and to have her story told. And that particular sort of age demographic as well, because she's what, 63, 64, that to have her leading on that story and centering it, it was it was wonderful and refreshing. You were one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. And they sometimes call you nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and briefly, After Love, Joanne Scanlon, <gasps> Girls on Film friend, and what a performance oh, and what a delight. And heartbreaking again. And, and again, that idea that it's a story we don't often hear. It is a, a perspective that offered something new. And to talk about... To talk about her heartbreak and her revelation and her devastation at finding this, and yet she isn't consumed with rage. She's not picking up a knife and chasing anybody and becoming like a stylized version of how women react to news that devastates them and questions their whole existence. Hello? Hello? 
when it came to talking the next day about when she won recently at the BAFTA Film Awards, it was Benedict Cumberbatch everyone was talking about, and he hadn't won anything. Excuse me, Pardon, madame. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I am. Um, you are here for the cleaning? Tell me a little bit more about your latest campaign, because what you just said there ties into it, doesn't it? You know, the media coverage and what people are choosing to focus on. So with the Acting Your Age campaign, this is something that I just feel is really, really important. So I've come out with 10 key aims that I think, because oftentimes we've tried to get it into the media. I think the idea is that I come up with lots and lots of problems or I highlight lots and lots of negatives and I don't necessarily find solutions. So I found some. And it was 10 key aims, but they are across film commissioning, TV commissioning, things like new writer schemes. I'll often, because I write as well as performing, and I'll often finally see, say, a new writing scheme for a broadcaster that is in my region of the country and, and everything else. And it'll very sadly say upper age 34, which, of course, I'm a long time away from. Across news as well, trying to remember that if we're not centering women in the story when it comes to any of the things, the discrimination that we experience or oppression or anything else, if we're not remembering that these things also impact women over the age of 45, then we are neglecting our appreciation of all women and not just younger women. Um, so news, current affairs and just carrying on really, just bothering people and annoying people and getting nice emails from horrible people who don't like me very much. But ultimately, I'm just saying one very simple truth, which is that any fight for equality between men and women, it has to encompass all men and women. And that's all it is really, that a woman's age has nothing to do with her talent, her capability, or her watchability. Because one of the myths about this campaign is that Men don't like it and young people don't like it. And that is absolutely not the case. The supporters are men, women, young people, older people, audiences and industry. Because, you know, the tagline of my campaign is on screen, men have a whole life and women just a shelf life. And I think if we neglect that, we're totally rejecting the very basis of feminism there. Well said indeed, Nikki. Now, if people want to find out more about your work or support the campaign, how can they do that? Oh, thank you. Uh, well, they can follow me on Twitter at Mrs. Nikki Clark, which isn't sort of bragging about being married. It's the fact that when I first started campaigning, people just likened me to Mary Whitehouse. I don't know why, really. But anyway, so that was an ironic Mrs. <laughs> Nikki Clark. That's where I am on Twitter. Acting Your Age campaign on Insta. I also have a website, which is mrsnickyclark.com, and you can find out about the campaign there too. Fantastic. And finally, we're also talking to Kate Muir about her new oh. menopause documentary. Oh my God, I love her and her documentary. Documentary. And Davina, again, this is another thing. Davina McCall so brilliant with that because it was deemed to be a branding issue. If she sort of talked about being an older woman and talked about menopause, then that would be damaging. And it's like, why? You know, anyway, so great. Excellent. Good. Well, I think you make excellent bedfellows for this very important topic today. Nikki, thank you so much for joining Girls on Film. And thank yeah, you. really happy that you're doing what you're doing. Thanks oh, for joining us. Thank you. That was Nikki Clark. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer Benjamin Cook, assistant producer Shania Pithia, and our principal partners Vanessa Smith and Peter Brewer. I'm Anna Smith and I was joined by Nikki Clark and Kate Muir. Thanks for listening. 
If you're a regular listener and you're interested in an internship with Girls on Film, do get in touch with us via social media. Stay safe. I am on it.